Crosspoint Church's weekly sermon audio. For more information about Crosspoint, visit InsideCrosspoint.com. Morning, good morning. That's what I like to hear. All right, we are in the book of 2 Peter. Today we'll be in the first chapter, the first 11 verses of that chapter. So go ahead and turn there. Uh, I'm not sure pages in the pew Bibles, but uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, do grab one and uh, follow along with us while I read and uh, we'll uh, look through the text together. I'd like to pray for us before we get started and then we'll just, uh, we'll just launch right into it. Let's pray together. Father, uh, we, we're, just, we're grateful uh, for this morning and um, sober-minded, uh, thinking of, uh, of our brother uh, around the, the world, across the globe, uh, who, who lost his life. Um, we do take a lot of joy and comfort knowing that he was one of your children, which means that you have welcomed him into your home. Um, I pray that uh, as we consider your word now, as we think about what you have to say to us by it, that we would be, uh, that we would be sober-minded still, and that we would consider the, the supreme importance of knowing Christ. Not just knowing things about him, um, not knowing terms or or, or words or, or thoughts, but, but knowing Christ. We want to know him better. Help us to do that, we pray. Be with us as we uh, listen to your word. Give us ears and eyes to, to hear and to see what you have for us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we are in Second Peter chapter 1. I'll start off reading in verse 1 here. Simeon Peter a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. What a, what a statement. This is, this is free. What a statement. You know, your righteousness of, of equal quality to ours. This is an apostle speaking, and it's, it's because of the righteousness of Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire." That, that phrase, partakers of the divine nature, what's he getting at? Are we talking about deification here? Uh, just going to go ahead and answer this question. No, we're not talking about that. He's not saying we're going to, be, we're going to become God uh, based on all this, that, and the other. He's, he's really hinting at the, the moral qualities of, of God, his nature, and, and pointing us ahead to thinking about how we become like God in, in the same sort of way, the things that we value, the things that we do, the things that, that we find joy in and, and take delight in. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, 
and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our, our culture is one that, uh, that really values knowledge. Not necessarily truth, not necessarily wisdom, hear me, hear me out, but knowledge, knowing things or thinking we know things. It's the air we breathe, right? There is not a news story that you can watch. There's not an article you can read that doesn't appeal in some way or other to expert opinion, right? It's, it's everywhere. And sometimes these experts really are experts, but a lot of times it's just meant to make us defer to whatever they have to say because they, they, they know more than we do. So it goes, right? Social media has given us the, uh, the sense that, uh, that our opinions are just as important as everyone else's as well, and that we should not only have opinions about everything, but that we should put all of these opinions out to the world at any given moment for any given event that takes place in the world, right? Uh, there, there is not a thing that can happen where, uh, where silence isn't somehow assumed to be uh, opposition to my view or, or complicitness in whatever horrible thing I, I see going on in the world. Uh, we, we are always expected to have an opinion about any number of things that none of us can possibly know all the ins and outs of. Um, there, there, are, there are many other ways that just as a culture we, we really value knowledge uh, knowing things that other people don't know, having insider life hacks that other people just aren't aware of. But if you put this oil on your head, then, then you won't die or something like that. Sorry, that was a, a cheap shot. Um, there's all sorts of ways, though, that we, we carry around with us knowledge and, uh, and, and things that we think are important to know. It's exhausting, though, isn't it? It's, thank you, Scotty. It's exhausting. Uh, because who can keep up with everything? Who can, who can know all that there is to know? Who can have a well-informed opinion about, about everything? But at the bottom of it all, it does reflect a truth about just the human experience, which is that what we know shapes who we are. The, the things that we think, the things that we know, the, the facts of, of, of our lives, these things dictate how we live, how we speak to one another. I mean, just this is a silly example, but for example, if you knew that gravity at any moment could give way, none of you would be seated in your chairs right now like you are, right? You would be clamped down. You'd be looking for something to tie yourself to your chair. In fact, you wouldn't even be sitting in a chair unless you knew that it was also then bolted to the floor. All right, what we know shapes how we live. It shapes the things that we worry about, the things that we think about, the things that we do. On a more serious note, right, the things that we, that we know, uh, think of how often what we expect or assume about other people, for instance, shapes how we, we treat other people because of something we think we know about them. Whether it's true or not, we're, we're going to act on that perception, right? 
Second Peter, this, this letter, is written for Christians whose, whose knowledge of who Christ is is being challenged and subverted. It's being challenged. And there are some specific ways in which it's being challenged that we won't get into today. But suffice it to say, Peter wants to establish for his reader the importance of knowing one thing. Not really knowing a thing, knowing a person. He, he wants his readers to know Christ and to value that knowledge above all things. So I, I hope as we look through this then that you'll be encouraged living in this world as obsessed as, as it is with all the myriad things that we're expected to, to know and be aware of. I've got two points. The first point is this, the knowledge of Christ is the foundation of the Christian life. Right there, in those first 11 verses, Peter mentions the knowledge of God, the knowledge of Christ. I think it's three or four times he refers to this. It's an important theme that he wants to establish. What, what is the role of the knowledge of Christ in the Christian life? Is it just a, is it just a starting point and there are other steps up the the latter, or is it the foundation? Is it the be-all, end-all of the Christian life? And Peter wants us to know that the knowledge of Christ is foundational. There's nothing else worth doing as a Christian. There's nothing else worth knowing. There's nothing else worth thinking apart from and, and outside being grounded in the knowledge of who Christ is and of what he's done. Let's just consider what is ours by virtue of knowing him. This is what Peter tells us. If you, if you notice, in verse 2, he gets off to a very quick start. He says, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of our Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace, these things are ours just by virtue of knowing Jesus. That, that is, that's not an add-on. It's not kind of a, a bonus. It, it, is the, it is the bedrock foundation of the Christian life. By simply knowing Christ, we receive grace, we receive peace. But that's not all. Through our knowledge of Jesus, God's power grants to us, he says in verse three, all things that pertain to life and godliness. All things that pertain to life and godliness. How often do you feel unequipped as a Christian? You know, uh, you're not ready for that conversation. You don't know how to counsel that person. You don't know what to even say in a moment. Maybe you don't know what to do, what path your life should take, what course of action you need to move into next. As a, as a Christian, you, you should know and you should take to heart these words, that, that through the knowledge of Jesus, we have been given everything that pertains to life and godliness. That's freeing, isn't it? It takes such a burden off, a, a, a weight off your shoulders. I don't know about you, but I tend to be the kind of person who's looking for ways to to secure my standing with the Lord, maybe. If I do this, if I do that. Maybe if I, if I, if I read this or, or think that or pray enough times, you know. Uh, activities and busyness, though, 
are no substitute for knowing Jesus. All right, we, we, can, we can wear ourselves out and be, be, no, be no more holy, be no more close to the Lord. But, but if we know Christ, all things that pertain to life and godliness are ours. God's glory and excellence grant us his precious and very great promises through which we become partakers of the divine nature and escape from corruption. That's what verse 4 tells us. And it doesn't explicitly link it back to the knowledge of Christ, but I think in the context it's appropriate to connect the two. Because the Lord in his, in his glory and his excellence has given us the knowledge of his Son. He's called us to certain things. But not only that, he, he has given us his precious and very great promises. This is where we, where we find all that he has for us is through the knowledge of his Son. And so in, in all of this, there, there is so much value to be mined from the, the, the knowledge of Christ. That's what I want us to see, that, that, that as we know Jesus better, um, as we know him more intimately and closely, uh, the, these things are, are more and more true of us. We, we, we access these, these things to a greater and greater degree. And that's just through knowing Jesus. I want to be so clear about that. It's just through knowing Jesus. Not through anything we do. Not through any motive of our own, whether, whether revealed or hidden. It, it is through knowing Christ that all of these things are ours. So if it's so foundational then, if, if the knowledge of Christ is so foundational, then it's crucial that we get this right. It's crucial that we understand what it is that, that, that it means to know Jesus. How, how can we know Jesus? Are there some places where that knowledge is more true than other places? And this is where, this, this is where our knowledge of Scripture comes into play, right? We, we can study the Bible, which may seem kind of obvious, but I want to just suggest to you that there, there's really no other way we can know beyond a shadow of a doubt what is, what is true and good and right. There's no other way we can know who Jesus is and what he's done apart from God's revealed word to us. So let's start with scripture then. Uh, there, are, there are other things we will talk about here in a second that come alongside our knowledge of scripture, but let's start with God's word. Second Timothy Chapter 3, verse 15, Paul is writing to Timothy and he says, he reminds Timothy how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. The sacred writings, right? The, the, the knowledge of Jesus comes through Scripture. And Paul reminds Timothy how this has made him wise for salvation by, by knowing the truth of God's word. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 or excuse me 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 13. Paul tells them, "We thank God constantly for this that when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, 
but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. The, the Bible, the, the word of God, scripture, this is, this is central to how we know Christ. But I want to, um, I, I want you to just stop and think for a minute, though, how, how you approach scripture. You know, what, what's, your, what's your motive behind, as you read the Bible, what are you looking for? What are you hoping to gain by that? Um, is, is it so that, so that you might please the Lord? Because certainly it's true that the Lord delights when we, when we want to hear from him or we want to study his word. That's, there's no question. But is it so that we might, we might ensure God's favor? When, when you read the Bible, is it so that you can just find some sort of neat tip to get you through the day? What's your reasoning behind it? I want to suggest to you that, that really the best way to read the Bible is, is not to make something true or to make something happen, but, but to discover what actually is true about you based on what Jesus has done, right? That's an, there's an important distinction there, though, because when you come to the Bible expecting to maybe make something happen, you're, you're going to read the Bible differently. You're going to walk away from reading the Bible differently. And I think you'll probably be more apt to disappointment and frustration. Not just with yourself, but maybe even with the Lord. It doesn't make sense. What's come, what am I gaining from this? What's happening here? But when we come to Scripture to know Christ, that looks different. When we come to Scripture to see Jesus, to catch a glimpse of who he is, of what he has done, it, it totally changes how we read the Bible. It changes why we read the Bible. Do we read the Bible to know Jesus? There, there are other ways, though, that we, that we find this, this knowledge of Christ that, and that we, we meditate on it and let it reverberate in, in our hearts. We, we start with Scripture. We go to the Lord through his word. He's revealed himself to us. Why would we start anywhere else? But we also should, we also should study Scripture with the body of Christ. Philemon, verse 6, is really interesting on that point. Paul is writing to this man, and he, he tells him that one of his prayers, I, I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. In other words, there's something about sharing and delighting in the gospel with other people, considering the, the truth of God, of, of what he's done together, that, that, that actually builds up our joy in a way that just doing that in our minds, the quiet of our own hearts, can't accomplish. First John says something similar, where, where John is writing to them, and, and he says, I'm writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Part of, part of John's joy is that he would consider the knowledge of the Lord with these people, with, with, with others, with one another. And that's where his joy grows and develops. And that's true of you too. 
And this is, this is really woven throughout the whole New Testament, throughout the whole Bible, that the Christian life isn't just you and the Lord and your Bible and a nice cup of coffee on, on, in the morning. Right, if, that, if that's the, the extent of where you meet with the Lord to consider his word, then you're, you're shortchanging yourself. Now, more than that, we're, we're called to consider the word of the, of the Lord together. That's why the local church is so important. Second, uh, Second Thessalonians, excuse me, Romans 15. Turn there with me. Romans 15, verse 14. It says that, this is Paul, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and get this, able to instruct one another. This is the, the beauty of, of studying Scripture, of considering the knowledge of the Lord together. It's, it's the beauty of what's happening right now. But, but it's also, I think, really apparent in, in community groups, in Bible studies, I know for, for, a lot of, for a lot of people, scheduling can make that difficult to, to do. Sometimes you're just not able to, to study the word on a consistent basis with other people. But I, I really encourage you to reconsider, to, to think, especially if this is something that you know you really could do, to, to really reconsider how you might come to the Lord, how you might approach his word and seek his face, not just on your own, but with the help of, of one another. We, we have men's and women's Bible studies going on all the time. Um, we're actually just wrapping up a semester. We'll get some more started back up in January or, or February. But I can't tell you how beneficial it is for me to study the Bible out loud with other people. Because it, it, it helps to cultivate my awareness of who the Lord is when it's not just my own understanding of Scripture that comes to the foreground, but it's rather the Lord using one another to minister and, and preach the truth of God to me. I, I really encourage you to, to, to consider that. That's not the point of this sermon, but I, I just think how, how often, you know, we're talking about the importance of the knowledge of the Lord, how central it is, how foundational it is to the Christian life. Why don't we avail ourselves of every opportunity we have to, to study Scripture with one another, to know the Lord together? I, I promise you, somehow, the Lord uses that to minister to his people in a way that, he, that we, just, we just don't find just reading the Bible by ourselves. And I think, in part, it's because of the Holy Spirit. The Lord has given each of us so that we would understand his word and that we would be able to, to know him closely. Uh, John 16, chapter, or chapter 16, verse 13, says, When the Spirit of truth comes, this is Jesus speaking, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. He will declare to you the things that are to come. How dangerous, how scary would it be if we were on our own to understand who God is, to study the Bible on our own, even with one another. Um, we, we need the Lord to guide us into the truth, and he has given us his spirit by faith that we can do that. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 
verse 12 and 13 says that uh, we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God, and we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths for those who are spiritual. All these things, then, they, they work together that we might know the Lord. And we, we read from Isaiah earlier. Um, all, all, of, all of history culminates in people gathering around the knowledge of the Lord. This is the path that we're on. And so then right now in this life, we can, we, can, we can know the Lord. We can seek him through his word. We can seek him with one another by the power of his Holy Spirit working in us and helping us, guiding us. And so right now, I, I implore you, I, I, I can't say it more strongly, you should know Christ. There's, there's no reason why you shouldn't know Christ. If you're, if you're not a believer and in this room, I'm sure there are people in here who, who think you're a believer, but you, but you don't know the Lord, or you know you don't know the Lord. You want nothing to do with him. Consider that, that knowing the Lord has nothing to do with, with you. It is, it is all the work of Christ, would you, would, that you would just get to know him. I think for some people, they feel like the gospel, the Bible, not the knowledge of the Lord, this is, this is too high and lofty. This is too much. It's too complex. I'll never be able to mine the depths of, of knowing the Lord. And in one sense, that's true, right? He's infinite. How can we know everything that there is to know about God? But at the same time, he beckons us to come to him that we would know him personally, What's holding you back from, from knowing the Lord? Know him. He's revealed himself to us through, through scripture, and ultimately, as Hebrews tells us, through his son. It is through Christ that we know who God is. Know the Lord. If you're, if you're a Christian in here, have you lost touch with the beauty and the simplicity of this truth. The beauty and the simplicity of this truth. I think it's easy for us to, to accumulate all sorts of things that we need to, to do, ways that we need to be, things that we need to, to read, and, 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 and what the Lord has called us to is, is not to busy ourselves, but to know him. Which is, which is such a work of grace from the Lord. I mean, what a gift that is, that we can, that we can know him, and that it, it truly is as simple as that, that we would come to him. I don't know how you busy yourself, but... But take a step back and consider, is all of this that I would know the Lord better? Is all of this because I know the Lord? That's, that's the foundation of the Christian life. Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 24. Let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me. 
that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth? For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. There's something beautifully simple about, about the Christian life. Because the, the, it begins and it ends with knowing Christ. That's it. Because Christ has done it all. He, he, he has saved us from our sin. He has lived the righteous life that none of us could live. He has, impart, he has imputed that righteousness to us by faith. There is nothing that we do. There's nothing we can do. And so since Christ has done it all, at that point it leaves us with simply knowing him. That's, that's the Christian life. Christ has done it all. Get to know him. My second point is this. We confirm our calling and election by stewarding this knowledge well. Call to know the Lord, know him. But inevitably, this is going to look a certain way. It's going to, it's going to carry out and bear itself out in, in, in fruit, the Christian life, which is where Peter then takes us in, in verse 5. You know, this is an important, uh, an important reminder. The Bible is filled with these moments of what are called indicatives and imperatives. Indicatives are just truth statements. They're things that are just true. God says it. It's true. Whereas imperatives are things that we do based on those truths, right? This happened, therefore, be this way, live this way, do this thing, whatever the case may be. And right here in, in, in 2 Peter, we, we have one of these moments. He's given us the indicative. The knowledge of the Lord is the basis for grace and mercy. It is the basis for all things that pertain to life and godliness. It's through the knowledge of the Lord that we receive these promises, that we anticipate right, the, the, the eternal kingdom of Christ. Those things are true just because of who Jesus is. But it, it works itself out, and as we understand it, it carries itself out in our lives in certain ways. And so in verse 5, he, he tells us very plainly, he says, for this very reason. For what very reason? Well, because of all that he's already said, because of, because of the, the fruit of the knowledge of Christ, because of all of that, Supplement, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, virtue with knowledge, so on and so forth. In light of these things that are true, supplement this truth with these things. Right? So we're not creating the, 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 the gospel, we're not making the gospel a reality because the gospel is a reality, because of the knowledge of the Lord and what he's done. We can supplement our faith in these ways, he says. So, so we have there an idea that we're starting with faith. We're starting with, with trusting in who Jesus is and then moving forward. 
But Peter also says in verse 8 that these things keep you, these qualities keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in that knowledge. And so there's kind of a symbiotic relationship here. It's not that our obedience merits the favor of God or that, that our obedience makes the gospel any more true, but our obedience and, and these virtues, these qualities, as they work themselves out in our lives, they, they become a reminder of a fulfillment of all that we believe. It's Thanksgiving this week. I'm um, looking forward to that. I don't know what your traditions are. I suspect we probably all share a lot, though, and and what we eat is a major component of our Thanksgiving traditions, right? Yeah, it is. Maybe some of you don't eat. Uh, no, it, it definitely is. But it's so bizarre because there are things that we eat at Thanksgiving that we never, ever, ever, ever eat. Ever. I think most of our Thanksgiving meal is, is composed of things that we don't ever eat any other time of the year except for that one day. Uh, we, my, my community group, we had... Uh, we had the Thanksgiving meal last week. We just met, and we had a little potluck. Everybody brought their Thanksgiving side dish. We tried to keep it balanced, but, but inevitably, there are three pans of green bean casserole. We got like 10 members of our group. You know, A third of it has said green bean casserole. Thanksgiving cannot be complete without this, right? There's all sorts of things, all sorts of traditions we have for every holiday, but when I think about Thanksgiving, it's like, man, I, 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 I'm concerned about cranberry sauce only one time of the year. But it has to be this exact way. It has to be just right, or we haven't properly celebrated Thanksgiving. Now, you can have Thanksgiving without, without the food. Uh, you, you can technically, you can, you can do the Thanksgiving, you can give thanks, you can gather with your family and not eat all those things, though... Some of you may be panicking at that thought, like, what are we doing if we're not actually going to eat these things together? Why are we gathering? Um, but the truth is that for, for, for most of us, there's a certain way that we're going to celebrate and observe Thanksgiving. It's going to look a certain way. You can celebrate Thanksgiving without it all, but if you don't have it all, you're still going to wonder, well, what did we do? What is this? This is what Peter is getting at. You can, you can know the Lord, you can claim to know the Lord, but, but in all of that, it, it has to be accompanied by certain things. The, the life of a person who knows the Lord is going to look like this. And, and he gives us a list. He, he runs through, let me, just, let me show you, faith, virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, and love. There's a, there's a difference then between, between book knowledge, knowing facts, and, and knowing Christ. And it, and it looks like this. See, for, for some people, the, the knowledge of knowing the Lord, the knowledge of the Lord, they read that and they immediately think knowing everything, every fact in the Bible every doctrinal tidbit, and, and, and they, they like to, to nitpick and consider all the little minutia of doctrine. But that's not what it means to know the Lord. That's not what, that's not what Peter's getting at. Because apart from 
faith, virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, love, apart from these things, and, and certainly this list is not exhaustive, apart from these things, you don't know the Lord. And Peter's concern is that for, for these brothers and sisters to whom he's writing, that, that they may feel like, well, I know the Lord, but, but without living this way, they, they betray the fact that in truth they, they have no clue who Jesus is, what he has done. First Timothy 4.16, Paul exhorts Timothy, he says, to keep a close watch on his life and on his teaching, his doctrine. That's true not just for pastors like Timothy, it's true for all believers. Our life and our doctrine, these things go hand in hand. They're very closely bound together. So that, in this case, a person who lacks these qualities, Peter tells us, he might as well be blind. He is so near-sighted. He's unable to see the basic truth of the gospel, he says, that you have been cleansed from your former sins. You don't even know that much. Because, because you are so short-sighted, so near-sighted, that you might as well be blind. Whereas these, these qualities, they, they come in and they provide a sort of assurance for us. This is how we partake in the knowledge of the Lord and how we steward that knowledge well is, is by cultivating these qualities, by exhibiting these qualities in ourselves. And in that way, they prohibit, they, they prevent unfruitfulness. And so, if you look closely at it, he, he says this in verse 10, Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. You can't confirm something that depends on that thing for it to be true. See what I mean? He's saying to confirm this. In other words, show this truth to be the reality of your life by how you're living. And, and, he, and he says, if you practice these qualities, you'll never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If, if the problem, if the fault of the person who fails to exhibit these qualities is that they are nearsighted, the result of the, of the, of the life that, that looks like this is that that person can be said to be, can be, said to be farsighted. You, ha you have a long view you see what the Lord has done. You know the promises. You know the eternal hope that is yours in Christ. And, and we, we know this. We can say this. We can see this in your life based on these things. So, so then these qualities, they prevent unfruitfulness and that they, they show that we are anticipating things to come. That we're ready to receive what has been promised to us in Christ. John 17, verse 3, says this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So we're right back where we started. The knowledge of Christ is the foundation of the Christian life. But it, but it, is, it is lived out, it is carried out in certain ways. It's not enough to just say, oh, I know things about Jesus. No, we need to know him. And if we know him and, and our hope is in him and all that he has done, then these qualities are going to naturally come from that life. It's, 
It's kind of a symbiotic relationship. Both these things work in, in tandem. And so it starts with faith. And it culminates in, in love, which, if you're familiar with all of Scripture, is, is the way the law is fulfilled. It's, it's through love. And it all starts with knowing Jesus. So, I guess the, the, the way we need to, to walk away from this text then is with this question, how can we be more fruitful in the knowledge of Christ? How can we steward this knowledge well? I think we supplement our faith with these qualities, which are ours in Christ if we know him. So that we, we seek him. We seek him through his word. We seek him through one another. And we seek him by the power of his Holy Spirit. And he would build us up. And he would make us more like him in these ways. Let me, let me pray for us. Lord, how often do we come to you um, on, on our own terms? How often do we approach you in our own wisdom? Thinking that there is something we can do to curry your favor with us, thinking that there is a way we can speak to you that would ensure your love for us. We, we confess, even as we claim to, we want to know you better, we confess that, that we are still prone to self-righteousness. We still busy ourselves with what we think we should know or what we don't know. And this world has so many ways to to guilt us into knowing things and to busying ourselves with that. But you, you, have, you have called us to something far simpler. Your burden is far lighter. The yoke that you give us is, is, is rooted in the knowledge of you. You beckon us to simply come to you to sit at your lap, to hear what you have done, to trust in the work of Christ alone. This is what our, our life is built on if we're in him. So Lord, help us to know you better. I pray that, that we would seek you wherever we can find you. That we would value your word as a priceless treasure. Because it's there that we learn about who you are and what you've done for us. It's there that we hear what you think of us and what you have declared to be true about us because of your son. 
Help us to build one another up, to spur one another on, to love you and to know you, to seek your face. We need one another for that task. By your spirit, would you open our eyes, would you open our ears, so that as we approach you, we would have a clear sense of who you are, a true sense of who you are, that we would know you better. And we thank you for this truth. We thank you that, as always, your gospel is built on your righteousness, who you have made us in Jesus. Help us to live that way from from supplementing our faith with all these things, loving you based on your word. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.